Well, good morning. Honestly, this morning I'm kind of excited because I feel like coming up here is a full circle for me because the last time I was really thinking back and I was like, when was the last time I actually taught on a Sunday morning here at church? And as I was thinking about it, I was like, it was on graduation Sunday when I was a senior in high school. And so I believe that that has now been six years ago that I taught up here on a Sunday morning. So I'm excited to be up here. I'm excited to be with all of you. And we've been going through this series called The Jesus Way. And what we've been seeing through it is that Jesus lived a lot of different characteristics that we are called to live like. And so we've been seeing things like us being on this wild adventure of living for Christ and being able to display him to the world around us. But before I go any further this morning, I want to first off start with a story. So I'm going to take you back now seven years ago, my junior year of high school. I feel like it's appropriate for me to talk about it because we're on a graduation Sunday, but in that moment of that year was a time that I was going from homeschooling actually back to the public school. And for me, I knew that God had really given me an ability to do sports. I had done many sports prior, but as I went back to the school, I really wanted to get involved in the cross-country program at Bering Springs. And so I started out with going, you know what, God, I really want to glorify you in the running ability that you've given me. And so may I, everything that I do, may that bring you the praise and not me. And so I started off into the cross-country season, and as the weeks progressed and I kept running, I started to notice something happening. All of a sudden, my abilities started to put me into the top brackets of the region, putting me into the top brackets in the state. And God had been allowing me to take first in many of my different races. But then I started to see something change in my own heart that I didn't quite notice at first. While my intention at first was to come in and go, God, may you get the highest praise, that started to decrease. And then I quickly started to see that my pride and wanting to make it about myself started to increase. And so I I came to the point where I went off to our regionals and I qualified for our state and I went off to our state championship and I ran and I placed well at it. But after the race was over, my wife, but at that time she was just one of my good friends, called me up and said, Brad, I've been watching you running this season and I knew that when you went into it, your heart's intention was to bring God the most praise. But honestly, from watching you this season... What I have seen is that you are getting the highest praise and not God. So why do I share that story this morning? Because the thing that we are going to see today is that we are called to live the Jesus way of being free from arrogance and full of humility. And so I'm excited to be able to teach on this this morning. So if you want to go ahead, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the front uh, seat in front of you. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14, but I'm going to start off in verse 1 because I think it's an important understanding of what's going to be taking place in the next verses. 
So as you're turning there, Luke 14, 1 says this, One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. So I've got three truths today that I want us to take away from this, and the first one is that arrogance actually invites humiliation. Arrogance invites humiliation. See, as we look at the first part, I want us to now turn to verse 7. It says this, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. And then you will be embarrassed and you have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. So this is important for us to note that the reason I wanted to read verse 1 to give us an understanding of verses 7 through 9 is that the leader of the Pharisees is putting on this dinner. And so Jesus is going to this dinner, but the leader of the Pharisees is, is known for being a very prominent person in the spiritual realm and also just in the general population. He's known for being the one who has it all together. And so Jesus is going to this dinner but he's starting to notice some issues that are arising. And so Luke here, the writer of this book, gives us the continued storyline from verse 1. And so just before verse 7, we start to see that Jesus has actually just healed this man who's come to this dinner, who had something we call edema. And it's basically water filling up in the skin, and it can be really painful. And so Jesus sees this man and heals him. And now he's all of a sudden finishing up with that and looking around and he's seeing a second issue arising. Now Jesus begins to see this issue with the rest of the guests. Why? See, in this time period that's a little different than the culture that we live in today, the way in which you sat at a table defined your importance at that meal. That wherever you sat at it, you actually had a higher value or a lesser value because of that seat that you chose. And so many of these guests understood this. And so they looked at their life and they started to say, hey, I think I'm pretty important. And so they're all trying to take the seat of the highest importance. And so Jesus sees this and he addresses this by offering up a story for them. He gives this example of a wedding feast. And so he begins by saying what they must not do at the wedding feast. See, Jesus says, when you go to this feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. And I laughed as I read that this week because Jesus sees what's going on and then he offers up this story and the very first thing that he shows to them is exactly what they're trying to do. And he says, you shouldn't be doing that. D don't sit in this seat of honor. Why? Because there may be someone that actually is going to be more important than you are, more distinguished than you are, that's going to come. And if this occurs, then you're going to be asked to actually remove yourself from that seat of honor 
and you have to go find another seat in the room. I love when I, I teach for the students because we went through this series called Reality Check. And so this is a moment that I feel like is a reality check for all of the guests. This is a moment where it's going, hey, you may put yourself in the seat of honor and then get removed from it, but what's most likely going to be the last seat that's available? The lowest seat. The one of least importance. And now that's the seat that you're going to actually have to sit in. So the result of this arrogant act is that you actually be embarrassed for your arrogance. So the reflection that I want us to take from this about arrogance invites humiliation is that it's easy, I think, for us to read this story. And I know for myself, I read this story and I look at those guests and I go, how could they do that? Why would they do that? Like, don't they realize who Jesus is and, and why are they putting themselves in this honor? But then as I slowed down and I read that this week, I started to realize that don't I sometimes do that so often that I put myself in the seat of honor today? Maybe for some examples of how we can place ourselves in the seat of honor is vying for a certain job title. The culture that we live in often says that you need to climb the ladder of success. And the way in which you do that is trying to get a certain job position. That it's going to get you more honor in the job that you're in. It's going to try to get you the best uh, pay that you can possibly get. And so sometimes we can place our seat in of honor by saying, hey, I need this job because it's going to get me more respect from my coworkers. Or maybe another example is offering up a story that one-ups another individual's story. I know I've been caught for this constantly, where I'll be in a conversation with a group of friends, I'll hear a story that's been said, and then all of a sudden I'm like, hmm, I've got a better story than that that I'd like to share. And I start to question, why do I do that? Because I want to look good in front of the rest of the group. I want to make myself maybe look better. Maybe I won't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Maybe another one is making excuses for why something is never our fault. That when a situation arises where all of a sudden something goes wrong, we look at our lives and go, hey, that's that person's fault. That's that person's fault. And we start to cast the blame away from ourselves. It's easy for us to look at the story of these individuals at the guests and to see ourselves reflected in them. See, if we don't accept the Jesus way of seeking humility, then humility actually sometimes will take on the form of humiliation. I experienced that. When my wife called me up and said, Brad, I don't see you living for Christ anymore in your running, that was a... A little bit of humble pie for me. It was embarrassing in that moment because all of a sudden I went, man, she's right. I, I am not living for Christ right now. So I, I want to share this story with you. My son Everett, he's actually 11 months old, and so we've been starting to read with him this uh, book called the Jesus Story Bible. And it weaves in all the different stories of how... Even in the Old Testament, Jesus is reflected. 
And so I was reading with him one night uh, about a week and a half ago this story that they titled The Little Servant Girl and the Proud General. And it's from 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's this King Naaman. And as I was reading it, and I knew I was thinking forward to Dan asking me to do this message, I was like, man, this applies so well to what I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to read you a little bit of this, this first part of the story. It says this, Naaman was a very important man in a very important army of a very important country. So you see, he was very, very, very important. But Naaman was sick. He had leprosy, which was a nasty thing that stops you from feeling anything. Bits of you fall off without you noticing, like bashed fingers and squished toes. It sounds kind of funny, but it wasn't, and Naaman certainly wasn't laughing. There was no cure. It never went away, and in the end, it would kill you. Naaman needed help. Now, there was a little servant girl who worked for Naaman, and she knew someone who could help him. But there was a problem. Naaman was her enemy. Not long before, Naaman had led an army raid on her home in Israel. He had killed her whole family, carried her off to Syria, and made her into his slave. Every night, she cried herself to sleep. She had lost everything. Why would she, of all people, want to help Naaman? Didn't she hate him and want to hurt him back? Didn't she want to make him pay for the wrong he'd done? That's what you would expect. But instead of hating him, she loved him. Instead of hurting him back, she forgave him. I want Naaman to get well, she said to her mistress. There's a man in Israel called Elisha who can heal him. I'll go, said Naaman loading up his wagons and putting on his flashing armor. But I'll go to the palace because that's where someone important like me gets healed. So he hurried off to Israel and went straight to the king. My healing, please, he announced. I can do lots of things, the king replied, but only God can heal. Just then, a message from Elisha arrived. Send Naaman here, it read. So Naaman hurried off to Elisha's house, but Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. He just sent a servant out instead. Doesn't Elisha know who I am? Naaman thought. But what the servant said next made him even crosser. Wash in there, he said. Just wash? Naaman laughed. In that slimy, stinky river? He looked around to see if it was some kind of joke. It wasn't. Any person can wash in a river, he thought. I am Naaman. Any person, I am important. I should do something important so God will heal me. And he rode off in a rage. Of course, you and I both know that's not how God does things. All Naaman needed was nothing. It was the one thing that Naaman didn't have. God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. Naaman was proud. He thought he didn't need God, and his heart didn't work properly. It couldn't feel anything. You see, Naaman had leprosy of his heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. 
Here's the question I want to ask as we wrap up this first truth is, if arrogance is not the road that we are called to walk on the Jesus way, then what else is there for us? I think Jesus answers this for us in the next part of Luke chapter 14 by showing us that actually humility paves the way for honor. What do I mean by that? Take a look with me at verse 10. It says this. Jesus continues that story of the wedding feast and he says, Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, while arrogance may result in humiliation, Jesus continues the story by offering up another action, another road for us to walk in our lives. And so he continues this on by saying, instead of living this way of pride and arrogance, rather take the lowest place at the foot of the table first. Take the least significant seat. And then you may be desire to be recognized by others, but that's not the Jesus way. That's not the road that you are called to. Life isn't about you building yourself up and having everyone see you. It's about building up Christ and having them see him. And the result of this, as Jesus says, is that if you can humble yourself in such a way where you place yourself at the foot of the table, then the host will see you where you are seated, and then they'll move you to a better, more important place at the table. What's the result of that? While you seek humility, Jesus says, it may feel in the moment like you have to eat a little bit of that humble pie. The result is that your act of humility will actually honor you in front of all the guests. That all of a sudden, now they're looking at it and going, wow, he took the least important seat, and now the guest is moving him to the first. See, Jesus reminds the guests that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, this is so backwards to the culture that we live in. I was thinking about this this week of the fact that our culture says you need to get yourself known. You need to build yourself up in any situation that you're in. Try to make yourself well known. But what I started to realize as we've been going through the Jesus way and we've been talking about the characteristics of who Jesus is is that the Jesus way seems to go contrary to the culture most often. Yet, the Jesus way works. Somehow it goes against what we normally think, yet it does work in our lives in incredible ways. We truly find honor when we're able to release our arrogance and seek humility. Naaman experienced this in his story. He rode off. That's where we ended. He ran away and said, you know what? I I, I had enough of this. I'm not going into that river. But the story doesn't end there in 2 Kings. It goes on from there. And so I want to read you the final conclusion of Naaman's story says this, Naaman finally agreed to wash in the river. 
And instantly his skin became smooth like a baby. Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. God healed you. You can't pay, Elisha said. It's free. And so it was that a very sick man was healed. All because of a little servant girl who forgave him. God knew sin was like leprosy. It stopped his children's hearts from working properly. And in the end, it would kill them. Years later, God was going to send another servant to forgive as she did. To forgive all of God's children and heal the terrible sickness in their hearts. Their hearts were broken. But God can mend broken hearts. I love that story because it's full circle. Naaman experienced a life of arrogance. He also experienced the joy that comes from a life of humility. So then how do we start on the road towards humility today? What are the steps for us to walk out of this place and to live this life, this exciting life of humility? Jesus closes off this story and he shows us that humility is actually an outward focus. That it's not inward. It's us looking at how we can be able to build into others. Look at verse 12 with me through 14. Jesus closes this by saying, Then he turned to his host. And remember, this is the leader of the Pharisees. And he says, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, Jesus shows an interesting thing here for the group that's in the room. He understands that it's very easy for those who are going to invite people to their home. It's easy to invite those who can be able to repay you. That you can extend generosity and receive the generosity from those that came. However, it's hard to invite those who can't repay you for your generosity. And so the Jesus way is to see our lives through a humble lens of being focused on the needs of others rather than the needs of ourselves. And then further, we can find the comfort in the fact that when we extend generosity to individuals who can't repay us, that it doesn't just mean that we'd never get anything in return, but that we're actually storing up that return for the moment when Christ comes back one day and he is able to set all right and he says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the joy of seeking the humble life it may seem hard in the moment, but the reward is far greater. You know, for me, with my story of cross-country, the story could have ended there. That I, I experienced humiliation because of my arrogance. And the reality is I wanted it to kind of end there. Because I, I felt embarrassed for how I had acted. And so I was looking at the fact that there was another running opportunity in the spring, my track season. 
And I said, God, I don't know if I really want to run anymore because I feel like I messed it up. But I felt like as I was praying about it, God was really saying, Brad, I want you to go back out and I want you to retry. Do it with a different heart mentality. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to go back out. And so I went out for my, cross, or my track season then that spring. And again, God was blessing my running abilities. But then the cool thing, the thing that I didn't expect from it all was that I had this focus of wanting to be outward focused. And so I started to pour into my friends who were running alongside of me. And any time that they would say, Brad, wow, you're a really good runner. I would respond and say, you know what? God has given me this running ability. And so I want to bring him praise for it. And so I would often write on my arm, actually, in permanent marker before I'd run a race, and it said, one power on it. And what I wanted to be reminded of, of every time was the fact that Christ is my power on how I can be able to live this life and reflect him. And so in that season, I got to experience the coolest things possible where I was starting to share Christ more than I ever had before. And it all started with the fact that I came with the mentality of wanting humility to be present in my life. So then now what? How can this be that we all live this way? How can we live the Jesus way? I want to offer up three different questions for us to think about together. Is there any area of your life that you've classified as confidence when it really may be arrogance? I've been caught for this. And, I, and I've seen it happen a lot in our culture where we'll sometimes say, I'm just a very confident person. But the reality is, is we're masking arrogance with confidence. And so I want us to think through, in our hearts, in our lives, are we reflecting true humility or are we reflecting arrogance and we're classifying it as other things? Second question is, what is one way God actually may be calling you to sit at the foot of the table today? How may God be seeking for you to live your life in such a way where maybe you're not going to be the most popular person? but you're living a life that's reflecting Jesus in the greatest ways possible. And then finally, how might be the world be impacted for Christ if you live this life full of humility? I would have never experienced the amount of impact that was made for Christ in that track season if I hadn't experienced humility. But I... I'm amazed because I look around this room and I see the amount of people in this room and if we can all grab on to this idea of humility, Christ's name can be glorified in the greatest ways possible. And it only takes each one of you to seek this life of humility. This is an exciting thing for us. So finally, I want to close. We are called to live the Jesus way and this is freedom from arrogance and being full of humility. So let me go ahead and I'm going to pray for us that we can be able to live this out this week. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity for me to be able to come up here to read from your word. But most importantly, God, I thank you for how you can be able to work in each of our hearts and our lives. God, you've been continuing to take me on this journey of being free from arrogance and full of humility. 
And so I pray that same for all of the people in this room. God, I just ask that we could be lights to shine for you in this dark world by living out a life that is humble. And so God, now I ask that as these people walk out this room that we can be able to reflect you in the greatest ways possible this week. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you. Look forward to seeing you all next week.